Hello and welcome back to the Amazon Investor Coalition YouTube channel. We're on episode number four, and it's a very exciting one because we have four panelists, four guests from two different organizations working in complementary and synergistic fashions. Uh, as a reminder, this is a, a production pulled from a weekly call series Jonah Whitcamper and I have been recording for the last six months. And we're producing uh, some really wonderful and educational content uh, to get it out to more people and to have more investors excited about what's possible in the Amazon region of South America, not Amazon, the shopping company. All right. <laughs> so without further ado, let me introduce our uh, three guests. First up, we have Atosa Sultani. She is the Director of Strategy for the Amazon Sacred Headwaters Initiative. And she's joined by her colleagues Belen Paez and Juan Manuel Crespo of the Pachamama Alliance. 20 years ago, Atosa founded Amazon Watch, an organization as prolific as any we've seen working to protect the rainforest and indigenous rights. But today, Atosa is focused on the Sacred Headwaters Initiative and is building a shared vision among indigenous peoples, NGOs, and governments towards establishing a binational protected region in the Amazon, one that offers a new and alternative economic and governance model to the region. Following Atosa, Juan Manuel, and Belem, you will hear from none other than Jonah Sachs, an author, speaker, and viral marketing pioneer whose new approaches to digital media have been truly critical in bringing ideals of social change to the forefront of business and popular culture. Talk about some weaving of magic. He's the executive director of The One Project, which is sponsored and funded by uh, Justin Rosenstein, the co-founder of Asana, and uh, the creator of the Facebook like button. You may have used it. And uh, the One Project is a nonprofit initiative working globally with communities to design, implement, and scale new forms of governance and economics that are equitable, ecological, and effective. So let's learn together how these efforts may find synergy and help to transform the Amazon region. Enjoy. Here to contemplate alternative economic and governance models for the Amazon. Uh, we're going to hear a 15-minute presentation from uh, uh, Atosa and Juan Ma and maybe another of their colleagues, uh, and then we'll go into discussion. And uh, uh, Atosa, feel free to leave, you know, a 10-minute presentation, five at the end for a question and answer, or we can leave the questions at the end after Jonah goes. Good, good afternoon, everybody. It's so great to see so many friend, fr friends and faces of colleagues I know and all of the folks I don't know. Hello, Gregory. It's, you're right on my screen. Um, so yeah, I'm Atosa Sultani. I'm currently the Director of Global Strategy for the Amazon Sacred Headwaters Initiative, and I'll get into what that is. I'm also the founder and current president of the board of Amazon Watch. I've worked in the Amazon uh, region since uh, 1990, was my first time down there, and uh, it's been a whole lifetime of learning, and I'm still learning. So it's an honor to be here with you all. And um, I'm also really excited because in the last year, we have been part of a number of uh, coalition efforts, organizations, NGOs, indigenous peoples, academics working together across silos. Nexus is a great model for that. Thank you, Jonah, for bringing us all together. Um, we're in the middle of an Amazon emergency that started with the fires last year. The Amazon Emergency Fund is the latest creation of over 49 organizations and indigenous federations, many of them on this call, responding to the COVID emergency and also from there, the emergency of the fire seasons, which are in Brazil and also Bolivia. Um, so, but I'm not here to talk about that. I just wanted to put in a plug for that. I'm here to talk about the Amazon Sacred Headwaters Initiative. Joining me will be Juan Ma Crespo, who's leading the bioregional planning efforts for the future vision of this entire ecosystem. And also Belen Paez, who's the executive director of Fundacion Pachamama based out of Quito, Ecuador. 
So hello, colleagues. I'll invite you to jump in and compliment what I'm going to say. I'll first start with saying that the Amazon uh, basin is uh, obviously we all care about it. It's a vital organ of the living systems of our planet. It's under threat. We know it's not just one thing or another. It's the package and the development model uh, that is basically part of the issue. The Amazon Sacred Headwaters Initiative started in 2017. We've been um, helping to nurture a growing alliance of 25 indigenous nations uh, in an area that's about uh, a little bit over 30, 35 million hectares of rainforest on this in all of Ecuadorian Amazon and Northern Peruvian Amazon. It's an ecosystem that has registered some of the highest biodiversity on earth. And it's where basically mining oil and industrial resource extraction is basically having a field day. It's areas that are the most biodiverse and also the most threatened by extractive economies. Now, we're working on this initiative to promote permanent protection of this region. Uh, and part of that process we're engaging in is a, basically promoting collective participatory planning process at the level of the bioregion. We're calling it bioregional plan. Uh, the bioregional plan is, did a series of work to map what are the baseline of this area, what are the threats, what are the dynamics uh, to inform our regional planning process. And we've done lots of diagnostic studies looking at the threats, the opportunities, and the you know, extractive industries, et cetera, the deforestation rates. We've done all of that mapping. We've also uh, supported indigenous peoples in coming together to help create a shared vision for where we want to go into the future. And this is critical now in the COVID, uh, in the COVID emergency, the fact that we are, the governments of these regions are financially strapped. They're going deeper and deeper into debt and with, with a loss of revenues from traditional economic, economic activities. And as we talk about post-COVID recovery, we're really, it's an opportunity. Our work has never been sort of more timely as now in putting together uh, the vision of the post-COVID green uh, eco-social eco uh, pact, a new eco-social pact for the Amazon in this area. Um, so we've, in the process, we have looked on a lot of baseline research up to now, and now we're part of the bioregional planning, which I'll ask Juan Ma to talk about, but it really, it's a participatory visioning and planning exercise with a pol uh, ex participation of policy experts, civil society, indigenous peoples to create a shared vision for a new post-extractive ecological era in this area, one that prioritizes the protection of the most biodiverse rainforests, and one where indigenous peoples and nationalities are held as key actors in, as, and advancing uh, governance of these territories. Um, the Sacred Headwaters Initiative has done tons of workshops and studies, as I said, but really the central goal of our bioregional plan is to improve the living conditions, uh, maintain the biodiversity and the cultures, defend the rights of the communities and indigenous peoples, advance the legal recognition of their territories, which is, a, um, you know, I would say around the majority of this landscape is indigenous territories and protected areas. It's to keep fossil fuels in the ground and minerals in the ground and avoid large scale industrial mining and to also restore ref uh, and uh, reforest and regenerate this ecosystem. So that, those are the goals of the bioregional plan. And um, I want to ask Juan Ma Crespo to come in to uh, give us a sense of where we are. We're in the midst of it now. In fact, COVID has actually helped us all like hunker down and be doing this research phase. It's actually been really helpful. And we've been leading lots of participatory calls with global experts bringing in innovative ideas from the outside, but also working. Ecuador, as you recall, was one of the first countries who put out uh, some innovative ideas like uh, we need to focus the economy on Buen Vivir, or, or, uh, on Sumac Causay, on this idea of well-being instead of economic growth. Ecuador was one of the first countries that promoted the rights of nature in its constitution, and it was also one of the first countries uh, to really propose an idea of leaving fossil fuels in the ground. So we are building on those initial ideas and saying those ideas are, now is the time for those ideas. 
So um, my colleague Wanma, please give us, uh, maybe show us the map. Um, Joan, I don't know if you can give us the access to give everyone a visual here of the map and also to tell us sort of like basically where we are with this effort. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, uh, Tosa. Very nice to meet you all. Uh, I'm Juan Crespo. I'm from, from Ecuador. Uh, as Tosa introduced me, I'm, I'm work, I work for the initiative of the sacred headwaters, uh, mainly in the bioregional planning uh, working group. But the, the idea was to locate you into where, where are we located. Uh, this is the, the, the entire Amazon of, of Ecuador. That, that is shared with the Northern Peruvian Amazon. It's, a, it's an area of more than 35 million hectares uh, of Amazon, of, of mainly of, of, of living forests. Uh, and especially, it's very interesting because it's more than 60% of it is uh, indigenous territory. So it's very important to, to focus that it's, it's maybe one of the most important areas in the entire Amazon because of the because of the of the Andes context of the bioregion that is very is very unique in what it, it, especially about the the sacred the, the headwaters of the Amazon. So it's very special. But the, the main idea of, of this of this bioregion bioregional plan is to give us like a guideline uh, for the next 10 years uh, so we can we can have some incidents in all, not only in the governments from Ecuador and Peru, but also in the in the local stakeholders. That, as as Atosa mentioned, this is an initiative that comes from from the indigenous uh, organizations from the Amazon, and is is very important for us to give them the to give them the space and and the, and the participation of how do we can plan uh, a 10-year plan of, of a bioregion that is not only uh, is not only to focus in one in one country or in another but to see that this is a more complex area that that responds to different different approaches and different and different variabilities of, of what we have to have in mind so what what we our main goal is the process is to have all of these of different consultants expertise but also from from the local people that give us give us their main agendas their main strategies from a political view of of giving them more more reform reinforcement to their autonomy autonomous governance and in the bottom line is to defend their territories at the end we are sure that if we live in the in the governments or in the state or the in the state responsibility to protect these areas, we will not succeed. So the idea is to to force a different a political actor that is give us a path to a transition a transition model to a post-extractive economy in our countries, but also in the region, mainly in the region. No? So it's to transcend this idea of nation state paradigm of development and go beyond to a bioregional planning that comes from the, from the local uh, perspective of, of spatial planning and so on. So I, I, will, I will add that to, to Atosa, uh, mainly for, for the purpose of, of the presentation of the by original plan, and maybe later on we can talk more about different details that we have. Uh, I don't know if Belen wants to add something. It would be great to have her vision also. Keep going. Belen, uh, would you like to jump in? There you are. Hi, everyone. This is Belen Paez from Ecuador. I'm the executive director of Fundación Pachamama and also working as the officer of programs for the Amazon in the Pachamama Alliance office in California and uh, working also for the bio, for, for the Sacred Headwaters Initiative. Maybe just to add um, that the bio, this bioregional living plan uh, that we expect to implement over the next 10 years 
will focus on different new aspects on what is possible for Ecuador, but also for the Amazon region in Peru and Ecuador. We are like uh, thinking that it's possible to increase the work that we do already in the ground on bioeconomy agenda, working uh, with the local governments, especially with provinces of Pastaza, Morona, Santiago, Ucayali, Amazonas in Peru. So we are thinking um, over the, this agenda of bioeconomy to start like several uh, projects that are already in place. Some others are like really new ones. And uh, we see that also the government of Ecuador is really leading this bioregional agenda as part of their public policy. So we, we see also like complementary work with the indigenous organizations in the ground, like 30, 30 indigenous nations working through this um, um, new moment of consolidate their agenda on bioeconomy. Also like a mac into the macro level uh, speaking, Ecuador and Peru are really, really affected by the COVID um, economy like um, threats. And we are really need to look forward to create new mechanisms to solve uh, poverty and other problems that are going to be really increasing the next months. And uh, we have seen with the Central Bank of Ecuador and with many other organizations, possibilities of create external debt for conservation, for example, we are looking forward to create new mechanisms and to learn more about how a green financial mechanism can be put in place, starting with really learning about external debt, how we can really start like doing these debt negotiations with the creditors and looking forward also to bring in this table other people who can help us with the, within the government of Ecuador to start creating a new models to uh, to bring financial um, financials to the to the Amazon region, that would be my sharing for now. Thank you. Um, Sorry, I finally uh, I put them up so you can have the idea. Uh, here you can see this is Ecuador. Uh, this is the border with the Peru with Peru, and here is Colombia. So our our initiative. This is like the the whole this whole uh, like purple. I don't know. Uh, area is the the influence area of the initiative and the yellow the yellow region is our effective area of of, uh, of the initiative so then these colors are are about indigenous territories so you can see how many of them are inside of, of the initiative and and you have you can have an idea of how how much of of the amazon uh, it's this initiative, this bioregion of sacred headwaters is. So you can now have a visual, a visual support. Great. Uh, we're we're going to need to move on. Um, Atosa, did you want to say one last thing? Um, well, we we will be doing a, a process of um, unveiling the aspects of the bioregional plan over the by the end of this year, and then engaging governments in dialogue about sort of what, how this becomes, uh, you know, how this gets implemented. The implementation includes the creation of a uh, sacred headwaters trust fund or fund of, uh, a fund for the implementation of the bioregional plan. And so there's a lot of, lot more to say about it. This is just the beginning. I will say that also part of the plan is what we actually do in the bioregion. And part of the plan is how the uh, strategy that we are, um, we're basically putting forth is a larger macro transition strategy for the countries of Ecuador and Peru. In addition to what actually gets implemented in the bioregion, what is the larger, you know, transitions, post-extractive transition, uh, reducing debt burden, and basically changing the focus of the economies from an economy that's driven by growth and GDP uh, to good economies that are more driven by well-being, by health and well-being, and the caring and sharing economies. And so the goals of the system are important as what we do. So I'll leave it that. I'm sure there's we can send folks more information. You can read about it. And uh, also happy to answer. And, we, and we'll have more time at the end of the call to get into it. So on these questions of democratizing macro level economic decision making and the exploration of 
alternative governance systems and local economy or alternative economies, alternative economies and cooperatives. And uh, if you want to experiment redesigning the system, there are a few that excite me more than the experimentation of Jonas Axe and Justin Rosenstein. Uh, so Jonah, please share with us a little bit about you guys and your explorations. Sure. Uh, hi, everybody. And um, pleased to be here. And uh, great to see you, Atosa, and, and hear from you again. Um, so uh, Jonah and I have been talking a little bit about one project and the work that Justin Rosenstein and I have been doing together, where we're generating hypotheses, basically, for new economics and governance models um, to radically more democratize and align with ecological limits, um, human civilization, essentially, and seeing where we can build the right experiments that can bring such things to scale. And so when I was explaining a couple of the hypotheses that we had, Jonah said, oh, you should really bring this uh, to this group. Um, we are looking for partner communities to try some of these experiments we, in co-creation with. And um, when he was mentioning this group, we said, yeah, of course, we would want to do these types of things in some of the most important bioregions in the world. So um, I don't know if what we're thinking here is going to work or if it fits exactly with any of the programs y'all are running, but um, I think it might be an interesting kind of group to bounce these ideas off of and to get some feedback um, and potential partnership on. So uh, I'll try to share my screen here um, on this presentation. All right, so um, it's a very rough internal presentation, but okay, so one project is collaboration between myself um, and Justin Rosenstein. Justin built Google Drive, he invented the Facebook, Facebook like button, he's built a software company called Asana, and he's a kind of a technologist who's been trying to help human collaboration for the last 15 years and then finding all of his great ideas are getting gobbled up by uh, surveillance capitalism and decided to leave the tech world behind, uh, a for-profit tech world behind and devote all of his resources and all of his time to try to make the world a better place. Um, I've been working in social change for the last 20 years. So running big campaigns for Amnesty, uh, helped to build the Story of Stuff project. I'm on the board of Greenpeace, uh, Daniel. Um, and so, uh, yeah, working in that social change world. And one of the hypotheses of how we can help experiment using technology and money, finance, um, and social technologies uh, to bring about new economic systems is something that we're calling Commons Unlimited, uh, just as a placeholder name. We're really interested in how uh, the commons as a sector of the economy and politics can come to have a much larger role in global economics and to push out some of the more extractive capitalist models. And essentially, um, we're thinking about an idea of a commons-based holding company that sustainably and equitably manages resources. So the idea here is to challenge models of ownership of the dominant system by creating a network of businesses that share information, that share capital, um, that share resources, but that are owned by not just the workers, but by the community that they serve. Uh, eventually, we'd like to have uh, the possibility to have companies that are owned by the entire world, um, not in the public IPO kind of public capitalist market way, but truly everyone is a stakeholder in some of these in some of these initiatives. So you can imagine us, you know, thinking about well, there's so much headwind to challenging these dominant models. How do you do it? Um, if you picture like a network of sustainable agricultural products, I mean uh, projects and platform cooperatives. So, you know, social media companies that are owned by their users and um, real estate holdings for um, in perpetuity protecting land. Uh, you know, imagine a network across the world of these different companies. How, how would they become to compete against say venture capital or private equity to acquire these resources and then to manage them by all stakeholders? Well, we're looking at a number of different places where we might have some types of uh, advantage against the, the current system. You know, we believe that we have a moral mandate. So um, people who are looking to exit to community from their current businesses might be more willing to sort of sell into a, a commons-based approach to management um, as more sustainable, you know, because we'd be managing not to profit, but to goals-based management as more sustainability mandates come from governments. We feel like we would have uh, long-term well-managed businesses and um, that, that consumers of products as well as local governments might also see the, the strong value of, um, of, of companies owned by 
true way. So believe that having goals-based management, not managing to um, short-term or even long-term profit, but managing to, to goals of, of people, um, place and ecosystems um, also will give us a sort of, not just a moral mandate, but longer term will help us manage businesses better. And then the, the thing that I think is kind of the most interesting is we've been experimenting a lot with both advanced sense making and advanced choice making, asking this kind of question about how does a company in which its workers and its customers are genuine stakeholders in the project, how does it get better intelligence? How does the crowd make better decisions than a board of directors who are focused on short-term profits? How can you leverage basically global intelligence to make better decisions and to have you know, advantage in producing products in the marketplace in a smart way and then returning the, the value that's created to an ever-growing community? And we kind of call this upgraded democracy, this combination of better sense-making and better choice-making uh, by, the, by the public. So in current modern democracy, you know, we see it based on 17th century technology and mindsets that you know, the democracy we practice now was never really meant to economically empower everyone. And the, uh, you know, the ideas of how we make choices is based on a world where people can't really interact with each other and make strong sense of the world. It was based on the uh, thinking in a time before you know, even uh, the television existed, no less the internet. Um, so we see in, a, in the modern democracy, we've got this problem. So even a democratically managed business right now is full of low information voters. We have this problem of eroding shared sources of truth. Um, lots of incentive to misinform and then proposals for solutions coming only from elites. So we're looking at models um, where, you know, using technology and using um, social science theory, figuring out ways where people can build networks of trust with, with, with each other, where experts are commissioned to, to do public good research. So kind of a top down and bottom up approach to making sense of the world. Um, accountability where gaming the system and misinforming is penalized and where proposals for solution can come from every level of the ecosystem um, that supports this network of, of cooperatives and businesses. Um, and in choice making, you know, so how does a company make choices about what to invest in, what products to create, um, how to manage its resources? Well, we think the one person, one vote, win-lose dynamics, um, representative democracy, uh, small groups of choice makers is, is, a, is a broken system and that we're experimenting with ways of you know, using liquid democracy, using citizen councils and citizen juries um, where voters can prioritize what they most care about and trade votes on what they care about less. That basically groups of people can come together and using technology really manage a resource in a more intelligent way and thus begin that process of, of creating more sustainable value. Um, we're even looking at models of alternative currencies so that local currencies can be created or the system can subsidize for people within the system um, to be able to buy more sustainable products or engage in more sustainable uh, business practices so we can actually reward managers of, managers of business who are not necessarily creating traditional um, value but are creating more long-term sustainable value. And eventually in a system like this, you can really program in or, or model in systemic equity. So, you know, capitalist models sort of have a, as we all know, this growth at all costs mindset, but also inequality at all, at all costs mindset. And in a system that's more self-contained, a network of businesses that are sharing and trading resources, a network of customers um, that are working together, you can disincentivize conglomeration of, of power and of money and really work to find ideal levels of equity within the system. Um, so we think combining all of these uh, experiments that we're running right now, um, some of our design resources that we're using, um, we're hoping that we really can create a, a challenge to the dominance of the market state. And our, our goal right now is to um, really do very, very small experiments um, with communities. So the last thing that we want to do is to sort of bring a bunch of businesses into a system that's half created and then have those businesses fail. But looking at, you know, are there ways that worker cooperatives can, we can meet the needs of worker cooperatives, get them into deeper collaboration with each other, um, and then begin to grow that system. And 
when I shared these ideas with Jonah, he was saying, you know, that so many businesses in the Amazon are already worker cooperatives, that uh, their, their need for capital is, is kind of high, and, but there's not a lot of incentive for people to invest, um, and that they're already a sort of uh, an understanding, maybe a better understanding than we have through our research, uh, through the practice um, of worker cooperatives that are happening in the Amazon uh, that might really bring power to this type of movement. And so, um, again, this is an early stage hypothesis. We're looking for partner communities who are interested in playing with such ideas, business owners. Uh, we think that while that there's gonna be a giant rush on, um, you know, to buy distressed businesses right now by venture capitalists or sorry, by private equity. And we don't wanna see, um, you know, local businesses all getting swallowed up by private equity when, it, when a new model um, might be more powerful and more equitable and ultimately lead to um, protecting this planet that we all rely on and love. So that's the very brief 10 minute overview of this large gnarly hypothesis we're working on. Um, but hopefully this can be a, a starting point for exploration and you know, questions if you guys have them. Great, uh, I'm gonna lead off the questions. I'm wondering if um, the representative that we have from the Brazilian Development Bank, DNDES, uh, have you guys engaged in investments in cooperatives? Are these ideas brand new to you? Do you see it a way to collaborate? And then after you respond, let's open up the floor to others and uh, we'll, we'll do about five minutes of responses and then we'll open up to include um, the Sacred Headwaters team as well. Hi. Hey. Yeah, uh, just just uh, introduce again Leonardo from BNDS. We, we have um, a long-term experience in Amazon since 2004. Um, and we had a lot of initiatives much more focused on Reduction of the deforestation, uh, and now we are we are looking into uh, this topic again with all our strength. The focus of our president in the bank is to be the the benchmark worldwide of, of uh, green finance or green economy, if I can call this way. I will I will be relocated to Amazon, uh, so I'll be based there for the next five months in order to connect the, the real world with the financial market not only in Brazil but in, in the world so I, I think I, I didn't respond exactly to your question but just to give you a, a bit of a, an overview of what, what we are seeing now and about co cooperatives indirectly yes I don't have a, an example here but I'm sure somehow our money got to, to the to this type of uh, entities, but not enough. We are aware of that. The bank is seeing itself as a as a uh, a way to leverage the, the international capital, providing seed money, first laws structures, blended finance, in order to to leverage the investments in the region and in a sustainable way. Uh, great. Other questions. Uh, Jonah, just to complete uh, with with Leo, I think this I'm very happy with uh, with the with the focus of the bank now. And uh, if you look back at the Amazon Fund, yes, they had projects with uh, cooperatives, and a good example would be the ones with Connexus. I don't know if you met them, uh, yeah. but they have uh, some 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 amazing projects with uh, cooperatives. Uh, we can share later. Great. Great. Uh, yeah, just to say, uh, Jonah Marco here. Um, I'm on the board of Connexus, so I'm happy to to make the connection directly. And I was thinking of the same same point. Uh, they did a, a, a an analysis of uh, the entire cooperative movement and found basically 1,500 different cooperative and associations working all across the Amazon and and beyond in Brazil at at. Uh, at community level, so that's a it's a huge analysis being done already that can be worked from. So my question to you would be: Do you have some examples already of things that you have been doing in communities, so that we know what we can you know what we can start with? Uh, no, so we don't have any examples in that we've just kind of come out of a launch phase. The, the project's brand new, where we came up with uh, two or three hypotheses that we want to take forward into prototyping. So we have not yet started, and so this is early stage. 
And so if someone wanted to uh, apply to seek an investment in an experiment, what would the process look like? Yeah, and the process would you know, look like talking to me and explaining kind of where you're at. I think we're probably not at the phase where we're going to be, um, I mean, we are a grant-making organization as well, so we are putting money into some projects on a smaller scale, but we are looking for partners who are, who are saying, who would be willing to say, yes, we can introduce you to this ecosystem of, of businesses or this ecosystem of, of leaders who want to talk that we can then begin to interview to understand their needs, to understand how a system like this might work for them. So it'd be kind of a, a longer term process of, of us designing with communities um, how this system might work. Uh, we, we intend, of course, to support the communities as we, with, with financial resources as we, you know, um, gain understanding through them. So uh, if, if this appeals and you have ideas, uh, certainly, um, I'll just put my, put my email address in here, but obviously there's other ways to find it. Um, but yeah, please just reach out. Any other questions? Uh, okay, broader questions? Uh, John, uh, you guys mentioned uh, blockchain technology and, and uh, how are you thinking about that? Is, uh, when you talk about the, the, this, this new type of currency, is that what you were thinking about? Yeah, I mean, we have, we've modeled out some ideas for this, also fairly nascent, but um, the idea that there might be within this, within this ecosystem of businesses, um, if there was a blockchain currency, um, you might be able to allow for um, some investment from the outside to come in that would have a different kind of ownership model for the, for, you know, you wouldn't have sort of like uh, external investors who hold in perpetuity. You could convert, uh, you can convert dollars into this, this uh, currency and then use it in different ways than a, a sort of typical investment model. Uh, that also it would be a way for businesses to share resources with each other and again to sort of reward with this currency uh, certain actions within the system other than just sort of raw profit. Um, so we have we've looked into it a lot of the alternative economic systems that we've looked at that are online are alternative currency systems that do a lot of this incentivization but um, don't own any assets it's just a kind of a currency an exchange marketplace and kind of what we think is the important innovation is actually that there are valuable real world things that undergird an alternative currency as opposed to just an alternative currency that floats around out there. Anyone else? I, I mean, that's a really rich conversation and I, it's one that I would love to have in more detail um, that I think there's a really powerful possibility, although it warrants a lot of careful consideration around how we sort of underpin a sort of virtual cooperative currency structure with um, ecological health, for instance, or, or social health outcomes, but uh, knowing the great work that's happening with the Sacred Headwaters Initiative, that's long long been something I thought would be very interesting is what would it look like for an, in, an indigenous inspired and led definition of how to base um, some sort of, you know, exchange and currency. system um, on a nature trap. So I, I would actually love to hear Atosa or the Sacred Headwaters people sort of speak to what their perception is on, you know, that question of how how do we value the health of the living system appropriately and how how they're sensing the tribes relate to things like carbon credits and things like that. I think that would be really powerful to hear about. Um, thanks, Gregory, for that question. I mean, it's it's definitely one of the challenges when uh, we are, we do have a working group that's looking at alternative systems of exchange. We're not calling it currency. We're calling it mechanisms of exchange. And we're learning about what's actually worked the other, just a couple of days ago, last week we had a presentation on the papayo, the 
cryptocurrency that's emerging in Amazonian communities is one possibility. But yeah, exactly. I mean, the the, the question of indic uh, the question of indicators of wealth and well being have to shift entirely. And we're we you know we kind of know what it could look like over here in the in the in the future, and we and we kind of know where we are now. What we don't know is what is it going to take to get from here to there. And so that's a big question for us. I will say that um, the indigenous peoples, through their own participatory processes of creating life plans are uh, addressing things like what are the indicators of well-being in their territories, like food sovereignty, like alternative uh, education and, and health, community health, ecosystem health, uh, biodiversity, forest cover. Those are real measures of well-being and health in their communities. How do those measures then become the basis of, an, um, you know, of wealth recognition by the outside world? True wealth, you know, how do we define true wealth in 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 those terms um so yeah i mean we we are we for example there is um indigenous peoples have this already system of trade uh but we've also talked about what it would look like but you know and then we look at economically what is it that they're they're mostly living in trade and self-sufficiency um basically raising their own <clears throat> food um creating their own uh you know trade around uh their medicinal plants their um you know, healthcare and their uh, housing, all of those things. Uh, but what is it that is requiring them to be part of a market economy? And how do we remove those things that require them to be part of a market economy so that the true exchange of, uh, of, uh, of basically meeting their basic needs happens less outside of the market? Uh, for example, we know that the educational system in Peru requires every family to spend somewhere between $70 and $120 per child per year in dollars to get school supplies for their school. And then when they become, so if they have 10 kids, that's, you know, that, that's basically one of their primary money needs in some of the indigenous communities. Obviously, there's a range of what they use money for, but in some of the communities that are otherwise have self-sufficiency. The educational system is requiring them to participate in the market. So finding ways that to, to basically reduce, we're actually looking at convivial basic income or, or conservation basic income as a way of reducing the need to be dependent on, an, on a market uh, economy in order you know, to sell your products, to buy school supplies, seems antithesis for a place like the Amazon. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but and valuing real wealth, you know, if the papaya, they were talking about how the territories can serve as sort of the real asset, the, the, the progress of forests and ecosystems and biodiversity as the true wealth for the basis of, of, of an alternative system of exchange. But yeah, we're in the middle of a lot of those conversations and we welcome Jonah and Gregory we welcome you guys in these working groups where we're actually um, you know doing a lot of this these, uh, these conversations having these conversations uh, great Atosa if you can put a link to the working group information maybe your email address in the chat area and about blockchain and activity in the Amazon I'd like to call on uh, Tina Hayes or a member of Moeda uh, to just talk about what they're doing. Are you there, Tainai? Yes, yes. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> How long? Hey, uh, good to see you. Good to see you too. So I run uh, Moeda. Uh, we built the first cryptocurrency for the cooperatives uh, in the world. So we started uh, in Brazil. has been three years, but my journey has been with cooperatives since my, my father. Like he built one of the largest credit programs uh, directly towards the cooperative system in Brazil, and I took his legacy and I'm with technology helping to expand. So we go from microcredit and financing the first stage of projects into a cooperative, providing the technical assistance till they have a product that we can commercialize into the marketplace. So one of the, the examples I can uh, share here, just uh, one moment. So everything that we do is like towards um, this ecosystem. So we provide for the product projects uh, and for the investors in those projects, uh, a comprehensive uh, uh, panorama of what is going on and 
like every single uh, dollar or euro or most of the investors are from China today, they can see into the blockchain information like where um, this is going on. So here you see our methodology um, and people from this, like uh, that was a, a beer that we invested early stage and uh, we take, a, um, it's very, like for, for me, I'm like, passionate about what I what I do so I also like to to present like this is the the Baru beer so that was the project uh, made from the first uh, investment that was very successful so from uh, the projects we control them with the the um, like administrative uh, system that we created so we have 200 uh, uh, cooperatives that today that we supported and first uh, with the finance and here we Sometimes we we handle like uh, problems with governance and details into each uh, cooperative that we measure the impact uh, on the metrics with the SDGs. And also sometimes uh, we go to measure uh, what was very helpful for this uh, time, like the risks into the investment and everything they, uh, that they have to manage better the, the money that we invest and to create a good uh, value for the final product. So we create like scenarios and most of the cooperatives last year, they remember like doing a super pessimist scenario because now they they found like this uh, tools that we provided valuable to deal with uh, the complexity that we live today. And we have also the marketplace. So you can see that the marketplace is connected uh, with the banking, the digital banking account. So when someone purchase a product uh, coming either from the, the food or for the, the beer and the projects that we call uh, help, uh, that money goes directly into their um, bank, my other banking account. So right. we take uh, out fees and like for the microcredit uh, as well. And here is also like a, a systems that we use in the Amazonia to measure temperature, water. So we go with the blockchain technology into really deep uh, information for our investors to really see like the, the value that is going through, uh, through the people and as well to in the benefit of the sustainable benefit uh, as well for the, for the land. So Thank that's you, like a little brief <laughs> comprehensive all goes into that. Can you leave a, a web link and maybe your uh, name and email in the chat window so others couldn't follow up? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there was another question uh, I saw that I didn't call on. Uh, <clears throat> was that me? Yeah. Okay, great. So just um, quick, I, this is really interesting stuff. I think there's never been more of a, an opportunity to talk about systemic change in the way business is done and what we value. Um, and I think the real, um, I'm, and, and we're not going to get ourselves out of uh, the mess and the Amazon unless we like really address the um, underlying development model. And so I think this project is really exciting um, in terms of uh, find a way to il illustrate what development could, what like real, real um, development and uh, could look like. I, um, you know, the, the part of me is also curious about, um, I, I noticed the principles on the One Project website, which, um, look really powerful like that just transition and the Amazon something that's on top of my mind, especially a lot these days. I'm also curious about the, the prospect of, the, of, of leakage of the problems that are trying to be addressed with some of these projects. So just the quick question is, is there all, already a process in mind to consider, um, you know, the, the typical problems that tend to arrive with, you know, this is not necessarily a carbon credit project, but like the, the leakage additionality and permanence of the investments. I wonder if that's part of the, um, the method, the terms of reference and methodology moving forward in, in developing this plan. Thanks. Daniel. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, I, Daniel, I can respond maybe, I know we're running out of time, but uh, we are aware of the, of the negative externalities that can come with like all implementations of systems and all that, and really trying to take a, a community first approach to the design. Um, to sort of anticipate those things, especially with Justin's uh, Justin's foundational story being inventing the like button in order to try to spread love on a network 
and seeing uh, its awful consequences. So uh, yeah, we are, we are looking at that and again, early stages, but very interesting. And, and, and in terms of the Sacred Headwaters Initiative, I think we are looking at, you know, one of the things Indigenous people said is that they don't want to just say, leave a fossil fuel in the ground here and then drill over here. So in the bioregion, the articulation of the bioregion uh, is that they want, they want a moratorium. They want to actually permanent phase out of extractive economies in this, in this important area. Um, and then, you know, when we look at the, one Ma showed you the core area and the buffer zone, well, the, the, a lot of the destruction is happening there. So, you know, it's really, a, you know, we, when we draw a boundary over here, we realize we actually have to take into account the pressures that are coming from outside of the landscape too. So indigenous peoples that are part of the governing council, the Sacred Headwaters Initiative are very clear about, you know, we don't want, we want systemic solutions. So one of those systemic solutions is about changing the model, the extractive economy model, uh, looking at, and then the other is around land rights and governance rights of indigenous peoples, seeing indigenous peoples as, as governors of their territory, not just communities, but nations that are building their own governance structures to maintain biodiversity, forest cover, well-being, health, education, transportation, all of those functions. Uh, so it is really moving governance to the people who are the stewards of the, of the forest. Okay, folks, uh, we have run out of time. There's obviously a very excited conversation here and we will have opportunities to join it. I'm gonna make sure that everyone gets through email a link to the LinkedIn group, which is a, an online platform where we can connect with each other and where we can mature these conversations. And just to repeat, this is part of a ongoing process of the Global Governance Philanthropy Network and its Amazon Investor Coalition. Um, make sure that you guys see those websites and the reports on rule of law, philanthropy, and impact investing and other exploration that we're doing. I'll make sure that you all get that through email as it matures. Um, thank you, Pachamama Alliance team. Um, thank you, One Project team, Jonah Sachs and colleagues. Uh, we very much look forward to more. Have a good one.